Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, but I want to stay with the weather because Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather uh, joins me. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you need to stay indoors today for sure. We've had a lot of rain uh, overnight, lots of reports coming in of uh, flooding on uh, roads. Any respite or what, what does the day hold for us? Unfortunately, there's more heavy rain to come for the next couple of hours into this afternoon and early this evening. It will slowly start to ease off um, this evening but we have a lot of rain still heading in. At the moment, it's heaviest between Cork City and Dungarvan, so Middleton, Nial, East Cork is seeing the heaviest rainfall at the moment, and there is more of that coming in. And that line there, probably between Cork City to the east, uh, up to, say, Waterford City, that's likely to see the heaviest rainfall now over the next probably five to six hours um, and obviously, you know, you've had over 100 millimetres of rain already fall in some parts. There's a weather station in Carrigwell in Cork that has recorded 120 millimetres of rain in the last 24 hours, which is a month's rainfall, Patricia, in 24 hours. Wow, wow that is crazy, crazy stuff. And so with more rain <laughs> forecast, there's going to be more flooding. Sadly, there is going to be more flooding. I've been trying to get this message out on my social media for the last, I suppose, two days because the problem here as well, Patricia, is this wasn't very well forecast well in advance. So even up to Saturday, there was really no sign of the rain that was expected on Tuesday. Yes, we were expected to see rain on Wednesday, but it was it was not looking anything significant. And unfortunately, you know, in the last 48 hours, that has dramatically changed and, you know, the problem as well is the orange warning is there for rainfall, but the issue will more be when the orange warning probably expires and that rain continues for another little bit, not as heavy, but then you have all the rivers and all the mountains and all the streams feeding that water that has fallen for the last two days downstream. Yeah, it's the, bi- the build-up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you, you you have local spot flooding where the drains are not able to cope, but then you have ri- river runoff and then you have obviously the water coming down from higher higher ground as well. So it's a combination thing. So the main message I've been trying to portray to people, especially in Cork and Waterford, is if you're in an area that's prone to flooding, be alert, be prepared, be ready, sandbags or whatever it is that you've had to do in the past when these flood events have happened, be ready for them because unfortunately there is going to be a lot of flooding and the further south you are, as in the closer you are to the coast, the worse it's going to be. Okay, and is this is this the tail end of Storm Babette is gone, isn't it? No, this is Storm Babette. So Storm Babette um, is moving up towards England at the moment. Now, the rain we got yesterday was a weather front ahead of Storm Babette. So it was kind of an outer band rainstorm of its own as such. But this is a very messy storm. So normally when I talk to you about storms, you have like a centre of a storm, you have strong winds and heavy rain and it moves through quite quickly. That's not the scenario here. 
this is a messy kind of storm with a lot of systems and warm fronts or a lot of rain embedded into the into the cloud and the problem with that is it's going to spin around and it's going to stay kind of stuck still that's why we're getting so much rain but we're going to have a lot more rain again as i said in the next few hours and then it will start start to slowly pull away but we're going to have more rainfall tomorrow and friday now not as heavy but still more rain and obviously the cumulative effect of that rainfall like on Friday, there's a possibility of some more heavy rain for a time. And obviously, water levels are already very high. Add this water on top and then add more rain. So, you know, while the heaviest of the rainfall will finish tonight, there is more rain coming. And that is associated with storm event. It's a rainstorm. It's not a typical storm. It's a rainstorm. OK, so uh, stay dry and be careful on the, on the roads because we're getting reports in. Besides the, the flooding events, there's a lot of surface water out there, Alan. There is, and I just shared a video of actually of, of somebody shared of, of people driving through, through floods in Cork. Don't drive through very high water. It's not worth it. No matter what the ex, like it might be an extra half an hour to drive around, it's not worth getting stuck in it. I've had reports of fire brigades having to rescue people from local roads in Cork. Um, so it's not worth driving through high flood water. It just, if it looks too high, take it. It is too high and find another route. Okay, listen, as always, Alan, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Take uh, care. Good morning to you. That is Alan O'Reilly of Carlow Weather. Now, Cork County Council have issued us with uh, a press release. I mean, they're talking about rolling uh, road closures will be in effect. The council crews are out there. They're dealing with the impact of that heavy rain that Alan's just been talking about, but also the high tides and the wave uh, overlapping and all routes are being um, monitored and they may be subject to closure uh, depending on the condition and the council crews are on standby in several known risk locations across the county. And uh, they are responding uh, to incidents as uh, they occur. And, uh, you know, the, the council are advising stay high, stay dry and stay away from the coast, rivers and lakes. Humphrey Deegan is in Clonakilty and Humphrey uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Humphrey. Good morning, Patricia. Humphrey, you, th- there was a flooding in Clonakilty yesterday. Is it still there? Uh, no. Well, sorry, yes, it is. It's still down the ring road. 33 million euros later and we still haven't got it right. How bad did it get yesterday? Bad. The ring road was closed. You know, there's the roundabout there outside Scallies, there was halfway across that and the water was cascading down uh, the main road so it couldn't go down the ring road so it was coming up Strand Road. So I was cleaning the drains there then and uh, it eventually, uh, the pumps got on top of it and it's, um, it cleaned off Strand Road but like the council workers were trying to stop traffic and uh, but like 33 million euros later, they shouldn't be having to do that. And, uh, and what is the problem with the flood defence in Clan? Sure, what would an ignorant fellow from West Cork like myself? <laughs> no, we we employed very clever engineers to uh, to start this out. And as I said to John Paul, you know, we have a children's hospital that has been started. We have a whole lot of projects like Newtown and Rascalbury was flooded. Spent a lot of money there, and all these very clever architects and all these people have. Uh, personal PI, uh, their uh, their uh, practice indemnity, and uh, it's never called into play. The taxpayer still has to keep putting the bill here, and uh, like if like we see doctors being sued all the time, and I'm not advocating that we should be suing the engineers or whatever, but they've done a bad job. It's still getting flooded. Well, uh, well, yeah, whatever we're calling it out is a bad job. It needs to be investigated as to why it's not working because flood defences have been put in place in the likes of Fromoy, uh, in yeah. Mallow, and they work brilliantly. Absolutely. And 
they didn't listen to what the locals said to them about uh, the water cascading down the Convent Hill. And if it can't get out into the bay, it has no other choice but to flow up the town, up um, Strand Road, up out, outside Scalley's, up in front of the vets and up out in front of the Imperial. All right, I have a vested interest in keeping that dry, of course, but like there's a lot of elderly neighbours living up the street and they're looking out the door they're going, Jesus, here we go again, it's handbags and whatever. And there's nothing worse than uh, flood water and, and I don't know if you were but, on but hold. It's the fear. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I don't know if you're on hold when Alan O'Reilly was talking to us. There's more rain on the way. Oh, there's more rain on the way. Yeah. And like the council staff are stretched as it is. And like we spent this money to alleviate this problem. And now Cork County Council have inherited this and now they must manage it and manage it and do their best with it. But they didn't build this system. They didn't commission it to the OPW. And yes, Car County Council are at a limited budget being stretched to the, to the ropes dealing with something that should be capable of dealing with its own problems of taking the water off the roads, taking the water off the streets and keeping people safe. Okay. And it's not going that far. That, that was the plan. We also uh, yesterday had calls in that the Clannacilty to Timaleague Road was uh, flooded and uh, with some people contacting us, they were, they were unable to get home to Barry Row. They had yeah. to wait until the floodwaters had cleared we're, the roadway. Yeah, till they receded. And this is ongoing and it's been spoken about. It's like every year to the school buses, every year to the flooding. And we still, we're spending a fortune of money on it. And yet, the same things occur year after year. And like, oh, it's, it's madness. And it's, it's infuriating. But like, elderly people living up the Strand Road, there's not that many of them living there now. But they were in fear again, they saw the water coming up again and it is ridiculous. Yeah, and it's not fair. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, and not fair on, on elderly people. Listen. Okay. Somebody has to explain why we're spending all this money and we're getting very bad results for yeah, our uh, money. Yeah, and the reasons why it's not working. All right, Humphrey, we leave it there. Thank you Lord, for that. Thanks, very thanks much. a million. Lord, thanks for joining right. us. It's Humphrey Deegan uh, from Clonakilty. Now, I've got, I, I, I don't know how much of these are still up to date or not, but there's, there's, we've had loads of um, notifications in about various roads. I do know that the Yall Bridge um, is is definitely uh, closed. Clarew Cross, that the National School badly flooded, flooding on the halfway to Cross Barry Road from Cross Barry to Bandham. That Clonakilty to Timur League Road that was flooded yesterday seems to be flooded again and roads around uh, Barry Row and flooding in Dundera uh, near uh, Kinsale. Um, I'm told that Glanmire has been impacted by uh, flooding this morning. Local councillor John Marr uh, joins me. Good morning, John. Morning, Patricia. How are things? I'm, I'm, I'm well. How bad is it in Glanmire? Uh, yeah, no, they've been hit now, you know, but I suppose at the moment as we speak, um, people's houses and businesses are okay. That's as we speak, and let's hope that it stays that way. Um, the council workers are, are out and about, and they're doing their best with the pumps. Um, but there's a lot of, um, I suppose, a lot of road road closures at the moment is probably the, uh, the biggest inconvenience as we speak. Um, you know, and let's just hope that that it, that it stays that way. But the the new the new line road is closed. Um, the uh, the village, if you're coming from Dunkettle. It's the the Glamour Village is only accessible if you're coming from Dunkettle, um, and if you're um, if you're leaving, then you need to go up through Churchill or Barnfarra Hill. But I, my advice to anyone is that if you don't need to travel, don't uh, stay at home. And uh, you know, I know, I know that's from privilege that maybe a lot of people have to get out and collect kids or be at appointments or go to work, and and they don't have any other option. But I think that anybody out there, my advice anyway, is slow down, put on your lights, take a breath. And don't travel if you don't, you know, because 
The problem is, is that even if we look at Glamour, as I just explained to you, you just go up the hill then up onto Lodemore and Mayfield, there's, 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 there's flooding there. So to stop, it's kind of a, it, it, it's a, it's a kind of a gentleman's, a gentleman's agreement that it's let me letting you go through and you let yeah, me yeah. go through. Yeah. Then that follows on to the, to, to the Bandoff Road, which is all linked. So, so you know, we have, we have a number, a number of issues where major roads, um, and then on top of that, we have big work. Uh, there was actually a road closure for the next three weeks from White Cross to Murview and Balavalan, which was oh. for which was for infrastructural works, right? So this is just the perfect storm, no pun intended. Yeah. But I, I think what people need to realise is that this just isn't one road blocked or flooded or closed off. There are a number of roads, particularly in the northeast ward, which either lead to Glamour or even lead someone who lives in Balavalan would have used as a kind of a way home. Mm. But the problem now is all those roads um, are either one, they're either flooded, they're either closed due to planned works. Um, and then, like, even, even by Dana Woods, we've had, we've had a wall kind of come in there over by Gwaleskull uh, or Driscoll. There's been, there's been other kind of subsidence there. You know, this, there's a number of issues going on in, in the one, you know, in the... In it's the, just unfortunate it's, it's all happening at the one time. And as, it, we've been, as we've been hearing earlier, there's more rain on the way, so there's more water to land. That's it. That's it. And for now, our jobs as local reps and, and is to work with residents and to work with the uh, and work with the officials who and, and and our workers on the ground who have been out since last night. I met them last night. I'm on site doing what they could. They were pumping out, but obviously we we've all seen the rain. You know, we we we've seen the the, the severity of it. And um, but it's just now getting sandbags and preparing people um, for the worst. And let's hope let's hope that it passes over. But I know that. The Corksley Council workers are on the ground and they're doing everything they can with the pumps and they're liaison with the residents as well. And I think, you know, for now, that's what we can do. And as I said, let's just hope that this, that this passes over. OK, and, I, and let's, you know, let's give kudos uh, to the council workers who were on the ground. Absolutely. They're out in atrocious position. I saw a council worker uh, yesterday. I mean, it was just bucketing down and there he was uh, cleaning leaves out of, out of a drain. It was, it was incredible. So we think of all of them uh, today and we thank them for all the work that they are doing. And in the meantime, we thank you, uh, John, for joining us on the programme. Thanks for that. Thanks. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Councillor uh, John Marr uh, contacting us from the Glanmire uh, area. And the advice is if you are driving, please be aware of the surface water because it's leading to flash flooding uh, and uh, motorists are advised to avoid driving through flowing or standing water. And uh, obviously, if you're driving through uh, heavy rain, please drive with care and slow it down. Thank you, Lorna, who has just sent in a text saying there's a car transporter broken down on the left lane on the south link. What a day to decide to break down. Please drive with care. Cork County Council have been on to say that the civic community sites in Yall and uh, Raffine are currently closed. So civic community sites Yall and Raffine uh, are closed and Cork City Council tells that many areas of the city are experiencing significant surfaced water flooding. Now the city council crews are responding but the resources are stretched to the limit. Flooding is likely to continue for some time. Obviously with that further rain forecast. So the City Council are saying please tra- travel with care. Uh, 0818 103 103 and please let us know if you are out and about and you come across uh, a flooded area that we're not aware of, uh, please uh, text or WhatsApp us. View Mary's on a train from uh, Middleton. Uh, good morning Mary. Good morning Patricia. Uh, you, I was on yeah. sorry, I was on the train from Cork to Middleton. Okay. And the Glountown uh, uh, car park 
for the train station is completely flooded. The water is up to the wheels of the cars at this stage. Oh, and people parked and people have already parked there. They're gone the train. Oh, they're gone to work and whatever. And they're only there since this morning. So, so anyone I, who knows of somebody who parked a car in Glownthorn train station, yeah, get yeah. in and get your car out. Well, if you can get in now, because it's up to the wheels. That was a half an hour ago, so. With more rain on the way. Yes, yeah. Yeah, oh. the whole thing is complete and it, it's brown, dirty mm. water. And did, did the car park look full? Oh, yeah, yeah. full. It would be it's because people full. heading to work. Yeah, yeah, they go up and they drive up first there and they park up there then. And, All right, yeah, listen. And that's every, yeah, so if, God loves So them. if anyone is at work and your, and your train is, your car is parked in Glenthorn train station, or you have yeah. a, a relative or a friend that you know, try and get a message uh, through try to and them. Get somebody, yeah. To try yeah, and get exactly. your car out. Okay, thanks for that, yeah. Mary, and yeah. thanks for contacting us. Uh, Not good have good a good day. You too. Bye. Stay dry. Bye bye. 0818 103 103. Now I leave uh, flooding, but keep uh, anything that you're spotting when out and about, uh, keep the information coming into us. But I want to move to a different topic because the Green Party in Cork has called on officials in the City Council to rescind a notice which was given to residents and landowners of Burke's Hill in Mayfield, instructing them to cut trees along the road. With a background to this story, I'm joined by Green Councillor uh, with Cork City Councillor, that's Oliver Moore. And good morning to Oliver. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Now, are the residents and landowners being asked to cut the trees? Is this for road safety issues and reasons? So the... That's yes. That that's that's certainly where where it started off. So there, there was there was a, requ- a request for motorists who used the hill. Now it's a very narrow hill. If anyone knows, it's it's only about three meters wide. Uh, it's only wide enough really for for one car to go uh, in one direction. Um, but it wouldn't have a lot of traffic to begin with. It, it, some people would use it as as a route from say the the, the top of Lota Beg down to the, the lower Glanmire Road. But it, it wouldn't be a very heavily trafficked route now by any means. Okay. It's quite a narrow road. But there was complaints that there it was there was overgrown hedges and so on. It's the time of year to do that. I don't think anybody complained about that. You know, it, it was it was the city council went in, did some works, and everyone was happy. Um, what appears to have happened then afterwards, and look, this is this is a, 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 an evolving story in in a way since since the weekend. Uh, what what appears to have happened afterwards is that a standard letter went out uh, to all the, the property owners along the road. Now there's not that many people on the road. It's 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 about a kilometer long, but there's about a dozen houses, say, um, mainly one large property owner. Uh, who, owns, who owns a farm there, and then a, a number of houses. Uh, but everybody who had a tree uh, received a letter uh, addressed to them w- with a map identifying the property, um, and it, it was the contents of the letter. Um, frightened a lot of people, um, caused one landowner to, to, to take quite, quite immediate action uh, to remove trees, and it got other landowners... Uh, spooked enough that they they, they contacted uh, arborists and, and tree surgeons and got quotes for several thousands of euro. Um, and it, it, it's that content that I think needs to be now part of a, of a conversation go forward about what is the standard way that we, we address landowners to, to you know, to to deal with trees that are on their lands. Yeah, and it's these letters are cut and dry. It's a, you know, it basically is saying if you don't cut uh, the trees and the hedges uh, on your the, your boundary, uh, you've got thirty days to do it. Are you face prosecution? And the word prosecution that that, that makes people and, and very for, fearful. Yeah, it did. And and from speaking to to engineers and officials since then, 
I, I think the intention, um, certainly from Cork City Council side uh, and the official side, was just to draw landowners' attention to their responsibilities. There wasn't actually any issue identified anywhere along the road with trees being in, in, in anyone's way. But uh, the, the letter contained exactly that. It was very, it was straight 100% in, in, in terms of its of, of what I was saying would happen. It was, you know, you have 30 days uh, to cut back your trees. Uh, if after 30 days there, there's trees that, that are dangerous, you, you may be taken to court and the cost of works will be taken from you. And of yeah. course, you know, if, if you're a farmer and you have the wherewithal to take action on that, as has happened, uh, you know, you probably... No, you'll get out there and, and you'll do it. Well, but it's, it's, the, it's the homeowners having to contact tree surgeons. That's well. It was two. One. I mean, the the, the the one landowner had to wear it all to take to take action, and their action, as they as they deemed fit, was to to remove a substantial number of trees because they just thought that was the most reasonable course of action on the back of this letter. Um, and then for other landowners, uh, you know, particularly people who own houses, you know, you know, getting large quotes to to address trees. And then there's there's older people on on, this, on the road as well with particular circumstances, and it caused them a lot of of fear as well. Now. I've been I've been fortunate to, that everybody involved, the officials, the, the the residents, everybody has been very talkative, and we've been you know the best advice if you've received a letter like this is to to ring. There was a number with it. There was a name of an official. He's happy to talk to anyone. He will clarify the matters. But I I, I think going forward we have to look at, at at how we deal with that. And and in fairness to all officials in Cork City Council have dealt with, including the trees officer. I think they've they've recognised that there's there's an issue with these letters, and they, something will need to be done. Okay, but on the other side of that, um, Oliver, we often get calls in from uh, people who are giving out about a particular road because of overgrown uh, trees and hedges, and saying the damage that it's doing to their vehicles. Yeah, and and look, that that is that certainly is the thing. It's not the case here, and I think that's the problem. I think that the starting point has to be a, a much better conversation. So, in, in the course of the last couple of days, we've actually discovered that there has been, possibly since since these standard letters were drafted first, whenever they were drafted first, there's been a great sea change in in, in how that conversation happens. I suppose if you go back twenty or thirty years, the standard approach would be, you know, you're. I mean, let's call it spade a spade. Probably people will be happy if you, if you remove the tree and then that inconvenience and that 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 risk goes out of the way. Whereas now we recognise the importance of trees in in particularly in urban areas, but across the, the country nationally, um, and that actually those trees on the roadside they serve a really important purpose. So in the last, I think it's 2021, a, a booklet has been produced uh, for landowners about their responsibility towards trees, and it takes an entirely different approach. To, to how this letter, you know, went about it, went about the, the thing. So it actually starts off by, by talking about the, you know, recognising the benefit of trees before going into understanding and responsibilities. Okay, and it doesn't perfect. set out what must happen. I think that was one of the big problems yeah. in this case. Yeah. There was a diagram saying you have to cut your tree to six metres vertical clearance. Sorry, we will uh, prosecute you. A, a huge work. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this is more talking about go out, look at your trees, see if there's anything dangerous there, assess it yourself. If it's all okay, it's all okay. No need to worry about it. But go out and assess it. Yeah, it's, it's miscommunication more than anything. Okay, Oliver, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us.
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Green Party City Councillor uh, Oliver Moran. A uh, listener's just been on to say that the traffic lights are now out in the square in Formoy and the listener says there's absolutely crazy driving going on. Please slow it down and drive uh, properly this morning. And also coming into us on um, WhatsApp. The WhatsApp's just gone down. I mean, oh, here it is. Um, severe flooding in Ladies Bridge. The fire brigade have been called in to assist and John says avoid the road from Ladies Bridge to Gary Vaux. Also there's bad flooding in Mogili and Baylick Road in Middleton but severe flooding in Ladies Bridge with the fire brigade coming in to assist. Please avoid Ladies Bridge to Gary Vaux. Thanks to John for that. During my chat with uh, Father Tim Hazelwood from the Association of Catholic Priests last Monday we were talking about the possibility of funerals without a mass uh, due to pre shortages. Father Tim mentioned that one of the founders of the association, Father Tony Flannery, would feature on a TG Cahar documentary this week. Well, the programme actually airs tonight at 9.30 and I'm delighted to say Father Tony has taken time out to talk to us in advance of the programme airing this evening. Good morning to you, Father Tony. Good morning, Patricia. And nice to be with you. Well, it's, it's always great to speak with you and I've, I've spoken with you many, many times yeah, in, in the past. What, what prompted you to agree to doing a TV documentary? Well, they approached me and uh, Midas Productions and they said, could they come and meet me and chat about it? And they did. And I was very impressed by them. So I suppose it went on from there. There were two young women, Maeve and Dan, and uh, very professional. And at the same time, I could see that my story would be in safe hands with them, that they were very careful all along the way to, you know, refer everything was I comfortable with it. And I've seen the finished product and I'm delighted with good, it. Good, good. I'm so glad to hear that because I I remember speaking with you um, after the, the death of your, your sister Geraldine and mm-hmm. uh, and you wanted to say the funeral mass. Do, do you talk about that in the programme? Yeah, that, that features in the programme. It does indeed, yeah. They, they give some nice shots from the funeral which we had in the house. Rem- remind listeners what happened, um, Father Tony. Well, you see, the fact that I was out of ministry meant I couldn't minister publicly, and that has been for for the last 11 years. In the meantime, about three years ago, my brother, Peter, who was a redemptionist, died in the monastery in Limerick. Now, at the time in Limerick, I suppose partly because it was in the Redemptorist Church, but also with uh, total support from the Bishop of Limerick, Brendan Leahy, I was able to celebrate Peter's funeral mass. And then about a year later, Geraldine died. Um, now, Geraldine, she'd been, she had a long-standing health uh, issue and, uh, you know, she knew her, her end was coming for quite some time. And she had always insisted that I would say her funeral mass, whether I was in ministry or out of ministry, I was to do it. <laughs> in fact, living close to her in Tume was a family with a marquee business. And she had even approached them and said, look, when I die, put up a marquee in the field. <laughs> and let Tony said a funeral mass there. She had all that arranged. As it happened when she died, it was COVID time. And also the family had sold off the marquee business. <laughs> So that wasn't an option. So 
when I, you know, she was in a nursing home and she was fading away and I rang the administrator in the cathedral in Tume and said, you know, she, she looks as if she's going to die within the next 24 hours and uh, will it be all right for me to celebrate the funeral mass in the cathedral? And the administrator said, well, the Archbishop, it was Archbishop Michael Neary, he sent for that. The Archbishop is away. I need to contact him. And that was fine. That's grand. I, I really didn't anticipate any difficulty. Maybe that was naive of me. But the following, I, I was all night in with my sister and... Uh, the following morning I had just gone out to, to get a bite of breakfast and that when I got a phone call from the administrator and now the administrator lovely man and I wouldn't fault him at all he was caught between the Archbishop and me and his message was no the Archbishop said no I couldn't and and then uh, after I'd left on the phone from that I'd say within 15 minutes another phone call Geraldine had died so the, the whole thing just worked out awful. As you did can that, imagine now, Patricia. Did, so, that hurt you, did that hurt you greatly? Of course it did. But at the time, you, you, you deal with that. And, like, there was no way... And the, the lads in the cathedral were saying, look, you're as welcome as could be in the cathedral and we'll do everything we can to facilitate you, except they would celebrate the Mass. Now, I couldn't have that after Geraldine being so insistent. So what we decided to do is, we had the mess in the house, in Geraldine's house. She had a sunroom, and we had a coffin there, and the mess set up there, and all the neighbours were gathered in the lawn outside. It was a lovely morning, and in a way... Covid time it was a good way of doing it, yeah. and it worked out well. That so time. you got to celebrate Geraldine's mass, and you got to honour her, and you know, exactly. Yeah. God, God works in mysterious ways, and I, I, I suppose you've mentioned eleven years since you've been suspended from from public uh, mm. ministry. You were you were summoned to Rome. I was summoned to Rome. It uh, was in, still in the time of Pope Benedict. And the sort of very traditional hard line on doctrine and all of that was still very much in vogue. And lots of people were being uh, suspended and censored and a number of other priests here in Ireland, apart from myself. So a lot of that was going on. I was writing books and I was writing articles, so I suppose when you put things on print, you're asking for trouble. And I was arguing for all the stuff that is so common now, the equality of women in the church, the whole issue of priesthood, uh, Catholic sexual teaching around contraception, around homosexuality, all that sort of stuff. So I was summoned to Rome uh, to meet the head of the Redemptress, who informed me that the Vatican were very unhappy with my writings and that I was to be suspended from priestly ministry until such time as I recanted my views. That's where it began, Patricia, and it's been going on ever since. Were you able to appeal the decision? No. No. You see, that was the problem, and that is still my problem. Like, I'm 76 now and going back into ministry there isn't a lot that I would be doing at this stage anyway, in past retirement age. But the 
process is the thing that sticks in my gut. There was no justice at all in it. In fact, by the time I was brought into it at the meeting in Rome with my superior general, the whole process had happened. The the accusations had come in. They'd been investigated by the authorities in the Vatican. <clears throat> the judgment was made and the penalties were decided. So, process over, and I was just told what to do. Who made the accusations against you? I don't know. And you'd no right to... They, they wouldn't well, tell again, you. Is, <clears throat> the problem... <clears throat> the... Authorities in the Vatican never spoke directly to me. Everything was through the Superior General of the Redemptress. So I was getting everything third hand. And the Superior General at the time was, I would consider, a weak man who was very submissive to the uh, Roman authorities and didn't ever stand up to them or question them in any way as far as I could see. Now, it was common at the time, and we all knew it, that there were certain groups of very traditional Catholics in Ireland who were reporting a lot of us to Rome for things that we were supposed to have done and said. That was going on a lot. But my information was <clears throat> that because my case was taken so seriously in Rome, in all probability, somebody very senior in the Irish church reported me. Uh, but, if, no yeah, but, but, but like 11 years ago, it, it was a different time, as you say, what, what, what you were writing about is openly spoken about uh, now. And I know there was a campaign uh, to have you uh, reinstated. Have you any sense of hope that that will happen? I, I say in the programme tonight, I don't really anymore. There have been a number, a lot of people have tried and spoken to the authorities in Rome and there have been campaigns here and the Association of Catholic Priests, Tim and those, have done everything they could. <clears throat> that has all, all been going on now for years. Uh, at this stage, I'm a bit tired of it all and I, I'm sort of very disillusioned about uh, the way the church exercises authority and the way the institutions work in the church. And I, I'm inclined to say to myself, look, leave me alone now. This is my life. Let me just live out the rest of my life quietly and without any more of the stress and uh, difficulties of dealing with these people. Now, I, I don't know whether I'm, I've just, before I was on to you, uh, uh, Patricia, I was talking to Keith Finnegan and Galway Bay of him, and when I said that to him, he jumped at me and he said, you will not. He said, we are going to keep this battle going. <laughs> yeah, and you have a lot of support here in, in Cork as well. I know and, that. And it will be interesting tonight when the programme uh, goes out. I like the programme. I've yeah. seen it, Patricia. And I know I, they did contact the Catholic Communications Office for comments, but I don't think they got anything back. Well, there's a bit of an issue there, but I won't go into okay. it. Um, the, um, what I like about it is it puts it on the record, and it's there now. Uh, I, I mean, it's told from my point of view, and all the other people who figure in it are all friends of mine in one way or another. Uh, so it's very much my story, 
and it's there now on the record and I'm delighted about that. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it tonight. It's somebody saying, when is it on? It's TG Cahar uh, tonight at um, half past nine <laughs> and always with TG Cahar. Um, I, I don't know how good your Irish is. My, my Irish isn't good at all. Is I, all mine is in English. Oh, is it okay? Because it's subtitled most, anyway. They're, they're, they do wonderful programmes. Yeah. And just finally, and what is life like for you today, uh, Tony? How, how do you keep yourself busy? And because you were always such a busy, active man. Yeah, well, I mean, we slow down as we get old. We do, we, we do. Um, I'm living with a friend of mine now in County Tipperary. I do a lot of gardening. I walk. I still play a bit of golf badly, but I play it and still enjoy it. And I read a lot and I have a lot of friends and all that sort of It's a simple, very simple life at this stage for me now. Well, it's been such, you've been such a great loss to the Catholic Church in Ireland over the last uh, 11 years and uh, nobody will give up on the campaign to have you reinstated for sure. Listen, I'm looking forward to the programme tonight. Thank you, Patricia. It's Thank always you. a pleasure to speak with you. You look after yourself, OK? Oh, he's just gone. <laughs> he's just dropped out. Uh, that is the wonderful father, uh, Tony uh, Flannery. So tonight, TG Cahar at half past nine. It would be well worth the watch. Uh, my heart always breaks for that man because he was such a great, great uh, priest. And what a great loss to the Catholic Church here in this country. And your heart certainly would go out to this listener who sent in a text from West Cork saying, what a day to have no electricity. The ESB are doing scheduled work. No hot food, no hot drinks. And it's so wet we can't even go outside. A sad listener in West Cork. <laughs> My heart goes out to you for sure. It really is the worst day to be without uh, electricity. All you want to do is stay snug and warm in your house and drink uh, hot drinks and eat nice warm uh, food. Not to be for another few hours for you anyway. Hopefully it'll pass uh, quickly. Hi, I'm just wondering on the buses going from the usual place in on the Park Road in Mallow because of the flooding. We have no reports in as of yet of the Park Road flooding. That's not to say that it won't flood later on but certainly as of now the Park Road is open which means the buses will be going from the normal bus stops. Hi Patricia, could you please tell people when they're out driving to turn on their lights because it's just poor visibility there at the moment uh, anyway because it's so it is dark and overcast and cloudy and rainy and so yeah lights on uh, please and then Mark says climate change is resulting in more rain what we are experiencing at the moment will be more and more frequent into the future we must up the reforms to all of our lives we all need to do our bit the way we do business the way we do travel farming etc we need to do it to avoid global chaos and that is from Mark and then Bill uh, in Clonakilty was reacting to Humphrey Deegan, who joined us in Clonakilty, who was questioning 33 million was spent on flood relief works in Clonakilty, and yet the town, uh, parts of the town, continues to uh, flood. And Humphrey was making the point that at the time when the planning was going on, they didn't listen to local people to get the views of local uh, people who would have lived and know the area well and know where the flooding starts and what causes the flooding and you know where it gets particularly bad, uh, etc. Uh, Bill in Clannacilty kind of very much agreeing with Humphrey and he says a lot of the engineers are working out of a textbook. They never do these engineers come and talk to the locals or those who have seen the water running down hills for 50 years or more and sometimes the engineers can actually look down on the local people as if they're country people and they must be a little bit stupid. But when will this all stop? Millions upon millions are spent with all of our local authorities. There is no, it, there appears to build to be no forward planning, no preventative measures uh, 
attack carried out. He feels that uh, many uh, engineers from the councils all over the country put their heads in the sand until after the rain goes away, but they need to listen to the local people. And I think the older local people who really have the knowledge because they have the knowledge where the floodplains were and we've seen countless times over the years where the floodplains get built on and of course that then has a knock-on effect when it comes to flooding. So yeah, I think local knowledge and sitting down with local people, uh, I certainly think would, would be advocating for that. 0818 I spoke with Councillor Oliver Morn who was from the Cork City Council who was talking about the fact that letters, kind of frightening letters that gone out to some landowner, homeowners and in some cases they were older people about having to, they needed to get their trees and hedges cut back and they had 30 days to do it or they're going to face prosecution and of course the, the, the very fact you get a letter that says you're going to face prosecution I think puts the fear of God uh, in uh, everyone, um, you know, Oliver was saying the council need to learn in the way they send out these letters and it's a bit of miscommunication that yes, some hedges did need to be trimmed, some trees did need to be trimmed, but uh, it didn't need, the letter didn't need to be as forceful as it was. Uh, but I did, when I was talking with Oliver, make the point and he had said that some of the house owners that, you know, in their panic when they got this letter, thinking of only 30 days to do it, got on to tree surgeons and anyone who's had a tree surgeon in because of the nature of the work, it's very, very expensive work because it's very dangerous uh, work. And sometimes, you know, if you've got a lot of trees, it can cost thousands of euros uh, to have them trimmed or to have them uh, felled. Uh, and that led a person to say, people in rural areas really are getting nothing from their local property tax. Surely the least that can be done is that they council take responsibility for hedge and tree cutting, particularly those along the roads. We have to provide this as we, as in people living in rural areas, have to provide our own water supplies and our own septic uh, tanks. That all come with the cost. Uh, and yet they feel they get nothing from the local property tax. 0818 103 103. On the HSC that we were discussing yesterday, the amount of money going into the Department of Health. There's still a lot in the papers uh, today of discussions going on, trying to, trying to sort out what some see as a big black hole. They just seem to throw money into the Department of Health and yet we end up with probably, I think now we probably have the longest waiting lists ever, 900,000 people. That's nearly a million people on a waiting list to either access treatment or to access just even getting in to see somebody and then go on another list to access the treatment. That's prompted Phil uh, to say, to think about the HSC and the budget. Where is all the money that has been allocated to the HSC over the years? Where has it all gone? Why, for example, it says Bill, uh, do they employ taxi drivers to bring patients home from hospital? Surely patients, families could do it. Now there will, says Phil, be exceptions where perhaps nobody has a family member to take them home. That's uh, fine. But we need to look at the number of taxis that are employed. Also, the claims that have been made against the HSC over the years, no one ever is held accountable for anything. We're fighting tooth and nail for consultant appointments, etc. As an elderly person, my view is they need to start at the top to see where the money has gone. It is is disgraceful. That is from uh, Phil. There's some of your calls and comments coming in. And then Martha said she went to bed last night heartbroken uh, with the scenes last night from Gaza and from the hospital. And I have to say, Martha, I, I was with you as well. I, I found it very difficult last night going to bed thinking of the uh, people of Gaza. And the, the scene, I think for me, that I unfortunately saw I don't know whether I saw it online or whether I saw it on on TV, was a a man, very, very distressed uh, man, running out of a hospital and he had two plastic bags 
uh, in his hand and you could see through the bags. It was just like body parts in each of the, ba- the bags and it was the remains of his two sons. That's all that was left. That's all he was able to take out of the hospital and it was just, and the distress on the man's uh, face was just... Uh, it's dreadful. dreadful. Uh, it will, it's a, an image. I think there was. Uh, it was an image. I, 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 I sort of said I wish I hadn't seen it because it's an image. I think I'll never get out of my mind. But hundreds of Palestinians we know now were killed in Gaza uh, last night after that horrific bombing of a packed hospital, uh, an atrocity obviously that has been round, roundly condemned uh, by several international leaders. Now the health ministry, run by Hamas, they say an Israeli airstrike uh, hit uh, the Gaza City Hospital which was packed with uh, wounded uh, people, but it was also packed with Palestinians who went to the hospital seeking shelter. Hundreds, hundreds of people were killed. It's confirmed the attack. Um, if it is confirmed that it was um, Hamas, regardless of who, who has done it or whether it was an Israeli airstrike, it'll be the deadliest in uh, the five wars that have been fought since 2008. The health ministry said at least 500 people had been killed. That was the initial reports, but I think that's gone to the, the expected fatalities in total will be in around 800 people. Photos and a video purportedly from the um, from the Al-Halali hospital on social media uh, showed fires engulfing the building and the hospital ground and the hospital ground was literally strewn with um, uh, torn bodies and many of them you could clearly see were very, very young children. The Israeli military said it had no involvement in the explosion and that the blast was caused by a misfired Palestinian rocket. The Israeli Prime Minister said the barbaric terrorists in Gaza have attacked their own people, uh, not Israeli uh, military, but of course the argument goes on. Both sides are saying the other side uh, did it and it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. This should never ha- have happened. When did anybody think it's okay to bomb a hospital. It's never okay to target a hospital. I don't care what side did it. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Doctors Without Borders, uh, they called a hospital strike a massacre and said they're horrified by uh, the strike. One doctor was actually in the operating theatre at the hospital. He was performing an operation when the explosion occurred and and he said the ceiling literally fell in on top of the uh, operating uh, room. And many of those killed, I think this added to it, had gone in there, had sought uh, shelter. It's an Anglican uh, church funded hospital and they'd gone to the hospital because of the ongoing Israeli offensive um, and obviously it's a hospital so others were in there and were being uh, treated and seemingly had it happened a few days ago with the death toll would have been even more because it was about there's about a thousand people last night were sheltering there they thought by sheltering in a hospital they would be safe earlier on in the week 5,000 people had been sheltering there but people had decided to leave uh, when the Israelis told them to get out of that part of Gaza and the devastation strike of course last night it came as the US are trying to convince Israel to allow at least the delivery of supplies to desperate civilians and groups and hospitals in that tiny Gaza strip which has now been completely under siege since the uh, Hamas attack the weekend before last and it also came just ahead of the US President Joe Biden's scheduled visit to the region today and he's going and as you heard him on the news there at 11 he's going to show support for Israel uh, but also obviously he's trying to prevent the war from spreading hundreds of Palestinians had taken refuge as I say in the hospital and they thought they'd be 
spared a bombardment if they went to a hospital. But how how wrong they were. It is just shocking. And following, I mean, obviously, world leaders have come out condemning it. But some of the neighbouring uh, countries have uh, come out uh, following the hospital. Neighbours, Egypt and Jordan, both condemned the shelling. They've called it a breach of international law. Uh, Jordan's King Abdullah said the bombing of the hospital that killed and maimed hundreds was a massacre. He said it was a war crime. And he said one cannot be silent about that and that the Israeli attacks were on the innocent Palestinian uh, people. And he said it was a shame on humanity. And Iran's superior, uh, they warned that Israel's continuing offensive in Gaza could cause a violent reaction from the region. Um, they said that bombardments should be immediately stopped. Muslim nations now are angry. Uh, and you, that comment would raise huge fears that this will escalate and nobody wants this to uh, escalate. Uh, but when you get scenes like we saw last night, you know, where is the humanity? Where has our humanity gone that anyone can think it's OK to bomb a hospital with innocent people inside? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Site dumper drivers are wanted to drive seven to nine tonne dumpers. It's in the Canturk area. CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. The Office of Public Works, they're looking for applicants for craft stonemason and a general operative in the National Monuments District in Mallow. It includes the Kinsale sub-depot. Full details and application forms are available on gov.ie, Office of Public Works. Tire fitter wanted for Ballincollig. Experience will be an advantage, but training can be and will be provided. Uh, Cav, K-A-V, CavTires at gmail.com. And the Gallery Barn Restaurant in Mallow. They've got vacancies for all grades of chefs. Also looking for part-time bar and service personnel. You can call the Gallery Bar in 022-20760 or send your CV to info at galleryrestaurantbar.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Just a further road closure to add to the list. We had been talking earlier about Clarew Cross at the National School was badly flooded. We're just now getting reports in that the R579, that's the Clarew to Leemount Road, is closed. It's impassable, so please take an, an alternative route that's Clarew to Leemount, that road has just closed. Now, latest figures released by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland show that since 2009, nearly 61,000 homeowners here in Cork are enjoying a warmer, more energy efficient home. And that's thanks to the support of the SEAI. So to discuss what grants are available, I'm joined by Tom Halpin and Tom is Head of Communications with Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme, and we hope you're managing to stay dry today. 
Yeah, well, I'm in the lovely northeast up in uh, Dundalk and County Loud. The weather isn't great, but I don't think we're getting it quite as severely as you We're getting it here in, in the sea, yeah. Uh, we south have, and southwest. We have flooding all over the place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we all know a house is warmer uh, if it's properly uh, insula- insulated. But do you also reduce your in- energy bills at the same time? Is that something that people don't often think about? Yeah, well, look, we all have homes of different ages, different vintages and different qualities of construction and different energy performance. But the bottom line is, if you have a poor performing home uh, at present, which means it's leaky, letting out a lot of uh, heat, valuable, very valuable heat, then you should really consider an upgrade. The upgrade gives you four benefits, actually. First one is the home is more comfortable. It's definitely going to be more comfortable because the heat is going to be kept in. It's not going to fluctuate in temperature the way it might do. There's going to be, because you're using less energy to keep it warm, you're going to have uh, savings on your energy bills, be that oil or gas or electricity, depending on how you heat your home. Uh, And then you're going to benefit the environment because if you're using less energy, Less fossil fuels means less carbon dioxide emissions, so less harmful uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And very importantly, and one that people don't often consider, not only will it save you money, which a lot of home upgrades don't do, energy upgrades will do, is it actually adds to the value of your home as well. And the more you upgrade your home, the higher the value of the home. So it's a long-term investment in that regard. Uh, you don't have to be selling your home. It's just it's a long-term way of protecting that asset. Yeah, it's a, it's a win-win all round. So for, from, for a household, uh, Tom, say coming at this for the first time, where do you start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get that question asked a lot of times and it's, not a, it, it, it's, it's totally understandable because most people buy a home and they think about the room layout, they think about, you know, where they where they sleep, where they eat, where they have their cook their meals and all, and and they think about some of the fittings, fixtures and fittings like the lighting and the appliances, but they don't generally think about energy. We pay fuel bills, but we don't think about how it's used in the home. So the first and best place to start is with an assessment of your home by a BER assessor, uh, and that is a building energy rating assessor uh, who will. Look at all the aspects of your home. Look at the bits that we can't see, that these experts can't see, how your walls are built, what the draftiness of your windows might be, what the quality of the double glazing is, what insulation is in the attic, what the quality of your current heating system is, are the radiators properly sized, what's the lighting like. It doesn't include appliances in the assessment, by the way. And then that will give you not only an assessment of where you are on a scale from A to G, but it'll also give you a roadmap for the highest priority items that you should consider and where it will move you up on that scale. So that's the assess part. Then almost always after that, Patricia, the first step. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...is to insulate. You're paying for lots of valuable heat to go into your home, be that with your oil boiler or your gas boiler. Uh, and what you want to do is make sure that heat stays in for as long as possible. A little bit like putting a hat on your head or like putting a lagging jacket on your hot water cylinder. The more you, insulation you have, the longer it stays hot, the less the heating has to come on. So you think about insulation, which is attic insulation, wall insulation, possibly floor insulation. Now that's very intrusive and only if you were doing what a major works. And then the other part of insulation is windows uh, to keep that heat in. After that, you look at upgrading your heating system. Uh, so you might think about uh, if you don't really want to go to, to, to change to a heat pump or a renewable heat pump, you could think about even just adding heating controls to make it easier to operate your heating system in an efficient way. But we really like to advise people to go, think about renewables at that stage once you've insulated your home. So that's think about a heat pump. Think about solar panels on your roof for hot water. Think about solar panels on your roof for uh, to generate electricity. But the first place is get professional help. To yeah, and to assess. Home. Yeah, as you say, and every house is going to be different. Actually, your namesake mm-hmm. Thomas has been on with a kind of a good question about insulation in the attic. Uh, he wants to know: Does mm-hmm. ins- attic insulation need to be replaced? He fully insulated his attic about ten years ago, but he's wondering: Is there a lifespan on it? Do you, do you need to replace it? Well, it, it, I th- it's kind of funny. On the one hand, you shouldn't have to, but the way we all treat parts of the insulation in our attic might need a silver to be replaced. And that is because we throw the Christmas decorations, we lob them up through the, the attic hatch and they, they crush down some of the insulation. Insulation works best when it's at the thickness it's intended. And the other thing to consider is, uh, is it when Thomas insulated the attic, what thickness of insulation did he put down? Some people put in four inches, which is 100 millimetres, or eight inches, which is 200 millimetres. But we strongly recommend, and to qualify for our grant scheme, we require the attic insulation to be up to 12 inches deep or deeper. And that's 300 millimetres. And when you get your attic insulated to 300 millimetres, you also need to consider issues like putting proper ventilation into the attic because that's now a very cold space because all the heat has been kept in your house. So you need to look after how your tank is insulated as well and the pipes in it. Uh, but up, if you don't go into your attic after you've insulated it, you shouldn't have to upgrade it. It doesn't have a lifespan per se. Okay, but unlikely that uh, Thomas hasn't been up in the attic, as you said, tossing up the Christmas tree uh, or all the other bits and bobs that we shove into the attic, meaning that we'll use them one day and and half the stuff you put up in the attic you never use uh, again. Okay, Bernie wants to know, uh, with the rising cost of oil and gas, uh, it's gone so expensive for people to heat their homes. What's the best option? Okay, well, the best option is to if at all possible, move away from using oil and gas in the first instance and consider using a, a, a renewable air source heat pump for the home. Now, an air source heat pump, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with it, you, you probably have seen maybe a neighbour or a, a small business that has one. They look like an air conditioning unit. They're freestanding on the outside of your house. They work like a fridge. Basically, when you put slightly, we'll say, room temperature 
food into your fridge. The fridge has a technology inside it that can remove the heat that's in your room temperature food to cool it down to four degrees or below. And all of that heat that it removes from that food is pushed out of the back of the fridge. If it's not a built-in fridge, you can feel the warm grill at the back. That's what this does. The heat pump takes the air outside, which might be at six degrees or four degrees or two degrees, and it actually cools the air further and then takes the heat that it took out of the air and into your home. Now, to, for a heat pump to work well, a heat pump works off electricity. It uses one unit of electricity, but because of the way it takes warmth out of the even cold air, it gives you between three and four units of heat. So it actually is the unit of electricity itself is expensive, but the, for the amount of heat you get out of it, it works out more economical. Okay, now there's for them to work well. Yeah, it, sorry, Patricia, just to say for them to work well, there's two considerations. One, the home must be well insulated because the way in which they operate, they actually stay on all day and run gently throughout the day. So you need to have a well insulated home, and our grant is only available for homes that have a certain level of energy performance. But you can achieve that by insulating the attic and walls. Now, the, the other consideration is. A lot of people are seem to think that they it has to be used with underfloor heating. It works very well with underfloor heating because the the temperature that it pushes the water around the house is lower than no, than a normal boiler. But you can achieve the same output if you just have the right sized radiators. So you may need to increase the size of your radiators in some rooms, but not necessarily all rooms. Okay, I think, you know, most people accept that, that there are, all of our homes need upgrading, but people worry about the cost. And this is particularly where you come in at um, SEAI with the grants. Now, there's a variety of different grants, isn't there, that, that, that are available. Talk to me about probably one of the more popular grants. So what are the ones okay. that people are going for? Okay, so Patricia, yeah, it's a, it's a really common question. It's, a, it's, it's actually one we, we, we like to answer because we want people to get the best ones available for are suitable for them. So first of all, there's the individual energy upgrades, which are available for people who want to do upgrades to their home and uh, do it bit by bit because they either feel that it's better to do it step by step or the budget will only allow them to do it step by step. And the grants that are available are for attic and wall insulation, for heating control upgrades, and then for heat pumps and solar panels. Uh, and that allows you to do upgrades, as I say, progressively. You you do the assessment, which are BER. You see which ones you should do first and then next and then next. And the only thing there is you select a, a contractor from our list of up to 1,300 registered contractors. You select a contractor, you apply first, get the works done, and then claim the grant from us afterwards. Uh, we always say, by the way, shop around. So sort of one absolute rule and one guidance rule is, Apply first before you uh, get the works done. That's the absolute rule. And the guidance rule is shop around. Always shop around and check prices. Yeah. Uh, if, and it's if, not always necessarily the cheapest is the best. I, I always think word of mouth no, is great absolutely when you're not. shopping around absolutely for things not. like this. And, and one thing that we there is so many, like you mentioned at the top of the uh, piece, that there's 61,000 homeowners have gotten works done. Talk to friends, talk to colleagues, talk to family members who've gotten the work done to see was the contractor good, were they reliable, did they come on time, did they leave the place in good condition afterwards, did they charge exactly according to the, the, the quote, uh, and were you happy with the work overall? Because as you say, 
we, we uh, as our mothers might have said, we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Yeah. So it's important that we get it. Price isn't the only arbiter in this. Okay. Now, if, if and then apply, are in a position what, uh, to do... A, and what about, oh, a, what about applying for the grants? Do you make that process as as easy as possible? Because some people get, think it can be so time consuming, it can be hard to negotiate. It's, it's not at all time Great. consuming. If, if, if Patricia, if you were to apply, if you wanted to apply now, while, uh, you know, this morning, the only piece of information, two pieces of information you really need in advance is you need your meter point reference number, NPRN, and that's written at the top of your utility bills. It's an 11 digit number that uniquely identifies your home because we only pay grants to each home once, which is proper for government grants. The other thing you should have available to you is your preferred contractor because you'll be asked to identify the contractor. Uh, and that's from the list. Now, that can be a local person that you feel you want to use, or it can be uh, a person who is recommended to you, may not be in the locale, but you, it's up to you from the list of contractors. When you apply, it takes a few minutes to complete the form online, or you can complete it by post if you want, and that is available. But if you complete it online and all the information is correct when you submit it, you'll get an immediate approval. That's your grant offer. You then have eight months, up to eight months, to schedule those works, get them done, and get the follow-up EOR that's necessary for the grants. But the it really couldn't be easier to well apply. Done. There well isn't uh, and, any and it's not, difficulty. And, and the grants are generous enough that, you know, they, we would just tested. say apply. It's not means-tested, somebody's asking. No, there is one that has a means-testing aspect to it, and I'll come to that in a moment, Patricia, which is the... Uh, which is our fully funded upgrades uh, for vulnerable energy poor homes. But in the middle, I just wanted to say that uh, the the first scheme I talked about there was really the individual energy upgrades. People might want to do or avail of what we launched last year, the one-stop shop service. The one-stop shop service is uh, where a a single provider, there's 17 of them around the country at the moment, and these are large-scale providers. There's one provider comes, assesses your home, decides the works are necessary, schedules those works, they apply for the grant on your behalf, and the money is available upfront at that stage. So you, you don't have to think about uh, paying for the works and reclaiming it. It's effectively deducted off the price of the works. So they apply for the grant, they schedule the works, they do the quality assurance, and then they complete the paperwork and return it to us. So it's a, a turnkey service uh, where the homeowner just leaves it in the hands of one contractor to look after everything. Now, the re- the requirements for uh, participating in this are that you go from a, a relatively low BR to a B2 or better. And it's the, the uh, contractor would explain, you know, the minimum uplift that's required. But the... Other benefit here is that there are additional grants available through the one-stop shop service that aren't available for any individual upgrades. And that includes you can you can have windows installed under this scheme, whereas you can't under the other one. And there are additional grants for project management and for bonus grants for heat pumps and even grants towards uh, radiator upgrades if you need them for heat pumps. Okay. So there are a little bit, uh, there are sort of added incentives in the one-stop shop service to go for that. Okay. And so there's, is there is, we, there, we've, we've gone through a lot of information and there's so much yeah. information on your website that I would say to people, uh, you know, really go take a look and it's, it's in layman's terms. It's very easy uh, to 
navigate. I was I was on it uh, yesterday, and it's s e i s e a i dot i e. Tom, I'm over on time, but listen, thank you for that. I really okay, do appreciate sure. you taking time out to talk to us today. Uh, good morning no to problem you. at all and delighted to help your listeners thanks for that bye 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 that is uh, Tom Halpin who is Head of Communications at Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland check out their website I'm just told multiple vehicles stuck on the Monaghan Road it is now completely impassable and the advice is avoid the area email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie Today on C103. Geraldine was on to us just to say to people, now I don't know if there's many people going out walking today, but if you are going out walking, to tell people to please wear high-vis jackets when you're out and about in the evening or early in the morning. She lives just off a by-road and she was out with her dog last night. She couldn't understand why the dog was barking and then all of a sudden she realised there was a woman walking on a very small country road. She couldn't see her, obviously wearing dark clothes, no high-vis jackets. She said it is a quiet road, but it's become busy of uh, late because there's new houses there and people are walking either to go home or they're going out for walks in the evening. It's quite a busy road. People need to wear high-vis vests, uh, please. Uh, Dan from Coachford sounds like somebody who needs a man with a high-vis vest to tell him what's going on. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you have a, oh. you have a tale to tell us. You're at CUH. I can't say you're in CUH. You're not. I, I, I am. I'm actually going into the car park <laughs> after an hour and ten minutes. Okay, tell us your story. What time do you arrive? Uh, 20 to 11. For a what time appointment? Uh, well, my phone was half 11. Okay, so you were giving yourself loads of time. I gave myself loads of time to come in over the, the, where the condition of the, the, the roads were coming in. And uh, on Thursday, I got well. Thursday, I got in there. All right, I got over that barrier, but the barrier I couldn't get into. Was over the barrier and going to the COH. This has this has been the same now on Monday. You know, there's queues from the gate in. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I had a call actually in from somebody who didn't know what was going on that that, that they were queuing. But I, like, it's now ten to twelve. You are yes. telling me for an hour and ten minutes. Yes. you've been queuing just to get into the car park. Yes. And there is about another, uh, about 50 cars behind me from the gate inwards. Um, like this was the same, not as bad as Monday, but you still have to queue to get into the car park. And the ironic thing about it is they're, they're still going to take out 270 an hour uh, <laughs> after all that. So surely, the, Patricia, there's somebody looking out the window, somewhere, some executive or some top nod that I hear to say there is a big problem here at the moment because this is going to push back appointments from doctors and consultants that people are turning up late. Some people actually turned around in the queue and went back, you know. We had that the other day. We had that on Monday. Somebody gave oh, up and, and went home. Did you ring to say I'm stuck in the car park? I'm, I, I was stuck in the queue at that stage. Yeah. I'm actually going in, I'm just going into the car park at this stage, no. But did you tell him you're going to be late for your half eleven appointment? I did, I yeah. rang them, I rang them, but it's seemingly that it, this is the way it's going to be. But like, I don't think there's any quick answer to it, I, I, it's just, a, it's a, it's, I don't know, there must be a problem somewhere around somewhere, but uh, what's going to happen here now is that uh, people that miss their appointments will go back into a waiting list. Uh, from appointments that yeah, the yeah. doctors and that, and that's going to that's going to put pressure on their whole appointment system again. 
So some people know that it won't make it in here before Christmas. It could be next next year before they see it, the way things are going. And the way the barrier at the car park operates is yes. when when it's full, the barrier won't go up. So you're no. queuing outside waiting for a car to leave. And then as one yes. car leaves, they leave one car in. Exactly. Oh, exactly. my God. Yes. No, the one good thing is that people don't realise from the inside after they're paying their money, is that normally on the way out, you put your ticket in so the barrier will lift. Mm. But at least what I've seen so far is that when the people are approaching the barrier, it's lifting automatically to get out. To speed it up. It just be well. It's a, it's a small bit of a help anyway, Patricia. Really, yeah, you know. Okay, okay, I and and that. added to that because we only discussed it a few weeks ago, the yeah. pediatric department from the Mercy is moving to CUH next April. Right. So you're going to have more patients. Paediatrics, you're going to have to have the parents driving them. So you're going to have more cars. And where are they all going to park? Yeah, well, you see the thing, Patricia, as well. That's happening with the South Infirmary at the moment where they moved over from the orthopedic over there. But it's it's, uh, absolutely chaos there as well for car parking. It's only a small area, I know. Yeah. But uh, having said, I, the other day I can cop here is that I have experience with the people that are going ahead um, for the, say, for instance, for the private clinics or for the bowl clinic, oh, the yeah. area, yeah. they're probably stuck in the middle of the queue that they don't want to turn right. They want to go straight ahead. But they can't get past. But they can't, yeah. But there don't just be any system in there for them to wave. They want to go straight ahead. No, there was a car behind me queuing, and when I turned right into the car park, um, they went straight ahead. So they had no, they had no intention of, of using this car park anyway, which was probably the other one they were trying to get to. But, it, but, but they spent an hour behind you waiting just oh, to get... Abso- yeah. absolutely. I mean, so like, you know... So there's no they, there's no man or woman in, in a high-vis vest directing anybody? Or no. Help, no. Well, when I, when I came in first, which was before 20 to 11, I came here at about, say, 20 past 10. I went in the gates. I saw the queue, so I went down to the lower, the lower car park down by the A&E department. Now, there was a chap there in fairness, uh, security, just saying double grid lock. Uh, oh, you know, you open a hole up here. Look, to your best bet is to where you're going to turn around to go back onto the, the, the main car park, you know. It's just an overstretched hospital, even at the car park. It's okay, listen, get yes. in, go into your appointment and we wish you luck with the appointment, okay? All right. And thanks okay, a million for contacting us. Maybe, uh, maybe there's somebody looking out the window there on the top. Yeah. He might have a brain to <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. God bless. Bye-bye, <laughs> Dan from Coachford. Uh, stuck in the CUHQ to get into the car park. Tom has been on to say there's flooding on the motorway between the toll at Watergrass Hill and Fromoy. That's uh, for those travelling towards Dublin and traffic is now down to one lane so if you're on the motorway about to head into the toll be prepared uh, for that and I have to say video uh, footage coming in from Ladies Bridge goodness me has Ladies Bridge ever flooded like that before it's horrendous my thoughts with the, the households whose houses must be getting a right bashing at the moment but it really is uh, a major major flood in Ladies Bridge Watergrass Hill there was a tea dance planned for tonight they've cancelled that but there is a coffee morning but it's going on tomorrow it's an aid of rehab care at the resource centre Drumlee in Bantry 11 o'clock tomorrow morning they're hoping that everything will have dried up and they're asking people to please come along in support of rehab care now I want to go uh, to uh, WhatsApp because Marie Tuig our news correspondent joins us and we have a number of things actually this morning now uh, to talk to Marie about uh, good afternoon to you Marie. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, in a couple of minutes, you were initially and you will talk to us about um, the Mallow man, Tyler Tiggy Jackson, who received a life sentence yesterday for murder. That was for the murder of uh, Conor Quinn back in uh, 2018. But before uh, we get to what happened yesterday, uh, Mairead, some some comfort, I suppose, for Tina Satchwell's family. Her body is to be released. That's it, uh, Patricia. We just found out today that uh, her body has been released to the Dingvin family. That was her maiden name, uh, Tina Dingvin. And it's understood now that her close-knit family who hail from Formoy in North County Cork uh, are going to have a private ceremony for the 45-year-old who, uh, as we've been hearing, has you know a love of pets and a love of fashion as well. And Tina was the youngest of four girls in the, the Dingvin family. And she also had three brothers and uh, was originally, as they say, from Formoy in North County Cork. And we saw there was vigils in Formoy and in Yall as well, Yall on Saturday and in Formoy on Monday. So yes, uh, her, her body has now been released to the Dingovan family and as I say, it's understood that they're going to have a private ceremony. Yeah, that's very, very understandable. Once again, our thoughts with all of uh, Tina's uh, family. And then the flooding this morning, have you been out and about? I mean, is it in the city you've been out and about? Well, I stepped out. Uh, I was kind of didn't venture too far in because as you've probably been hearing all morning, a lot of cars uh, people got stranded in their cars because of driving into floodwaters. So uh, we've seen a number of cars stranded. The emergency services have been having quite a, a busy morning, but uh, Cork County Council there have just been in touch as well. Uh, they've responded to 106 incidents since 5pm yesterday and up to 9am this morning. Uh, the County Fire Service responding to over 30 additional calls as well. And uh, the number of calls they're saying is reflective, you know, the widespread, the severe nature of this weather event. The orange warning expiring at 1pm, but the warning is still there do be careful there's concerns about the Shornick River in Blarney and they're just warning people just to take care into the late afternoon they're expecting three around three or four p.m that the waters uh, may the water levels may start to reduce there so both uh, council crews from the county and the city have been quite busy the weather assessment teams have been meeting and planning you know in accordance with the the conditions locally and there has been widespread flooding right across the city and county and uh, social media is just a wash if that's the right word to you uh, with pictures and videos um, from people. I've just been looking at one here on Cork Safety Alerts and a, a child being escorted home from Little Wonders preschool in Rochestown by the emergency services. And the child is on, for want of a better word, a kind of a, a lilo that you might see in the swimming pool on holidays <laughs> and, a, and a fire um, a fire person pulling them along in, in the flood waters there. So I'm sure that's something that that uh, child is never going to forget. So what, it was uh, it was the evacuation of a crash. That's it, yeah. Oh, and, and Little Wonder shared the video and Cork Safety Alerts have it up there just in the last few minutes. Wow. So there's some scenes uh, across Cork that uh, that maybe, I don't know if, if people were expecting it to be as bad, as bad as it is, but, you know, the crews, the emergency services, uh, they're out there um, and they're, they're working really hard. And as I say, a number of people did get, did get caught with their cars, uh, water going into the exhaust and things like that and having to be rescued. So... Um, it, it is fairly treacherous this morning, as I say, that orange warning expiring at one o'clock. But do take care into the afternoon. I know Ken Parrish from the Street Fleet mentioned about a lot of leaves falling. It is that time of the year. So there will be a lot of, you know, after effects as well. So the advice there is just to, to take caution. Into and the don't afternoon. drive through and, flood water. Exactly. Don't drive through flood water because it does cause damage. And that's something that you'll have to 
deal with over the coming days and weeks. So if you don't have to go out, I think the, the best advice there is not to. I know there is a, a river, uh, a search of the river in, in Patrick's Bridge in the city is ongoing as well. A number of um, of, of agencies are involved in that, the fire service and Mallow Search and Rescue. It's understood that, uh, that there was reports of a person going into the water at Patrick's Bridge at around half ten last night. Oh, right here involved in that as well. So that search is is ongoing as well this afternoon. And what a day for that. God help them. Okay, now you were in court yesterday. This was for the uh, sentence of uh, Tyler uh, Tiggy Jackson. Uh, Just to remind listeners, he received a majority verdict last week, wasn't it, for the murder of Conor Quinn? Yeah, so the, the jury of eight men and four women at the, the Central Criminal Court sitting in court, they did return a, a majority verdict last week. And this trial, it got underway on the 4th of October, so just earlier this month. And I suppose if we go back to uh, July 12th of 2018, uh, jurors heard that uh, Connor Quinn, who uh, is the victim here, attended the Carmi Horse Fair in Botavent with his cousins. And uh, his girlfriend, Stephanie, was heavily pregnant at the time as well. Now, in an outline of this case to the jury uh, during the trial, Ray Boland, the prosecuting barrister, said that members of the group uh, left the fair in Botavent on the evening of July 12th, 2018. They decided to go to Mallow to, to get some food and they, they parked on Main Street in the town that evening. Now, what the jurors were told is that Connor Quinn spotted Tyler Tiggy Jackson. Connor got out of his car and confronted Tyler Jackson, also known by the nickname Tiggy. Uh, they had some knowledge of each other, the court heard in advance, but there was some animosity between them. They were not friendly. Now, the court was told that the first exchange between uh, Tyler TV Jackson and Conor Quinn occurred at around 7.59pm, just before 8 o'clock that evening. And uh, Ray Boland said that it was the prosecution's case that a second interaction then happened um, at 8.38pm that night. And at that time, uh, Conor Quinn and his party were stopped in traffic on Bridge Street in Mallow. Uh, Conor Quinn was in the front seat of the car, front seat passenger, and uh, he spotted Tyler Jackson across the road. Now, Conor Quinn uh, left the car of the court heard to confront Tyler Jackson and uh, the court heard it was a physical confrontation, a scuffle between them. Now, the jurors, jury was told that Tyler Jackson struck Conor Quinn once in the chest and ran away. And the prosecution contention is that the strike was with the knife. Now, it was a, a stab wound and that this is the, the wound that uh, Conor Quinn died from. Now, he went back to his companions and said to his cousins, he's after stabbing me. Now, by chance, there was an ambulance also stopped in traffic in the vicinity in Mallow that evening. They went to the ambulance and the court heard that Conor Quinn collapsed, never regained consciousness and died. Now, in the, the trial, the defence barrister, uh, Brian McInerney, senior counsel, he claimed that uh, Tyler Tiggy Jackson didn't have a knife on his person on the day of the stabbing, but the jury overwhelmingly rejected the suggestion by the defence that Conor Quinn had inadvertently stabbed himself after he collided with Mr Jackson during an altercation between the two men. Now back to Ray Boland, prosecuting barrister said there was a witness who saw Tyler Tiggy Jackson leaving the scene after the fatal stabbing and the witness said that he was carrying a kitchen knife. Now in these trials, the state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster uh, gave evidence as well. The defense did put it to Dr. Margaret Bolster that Conor Quinn could have stabbed himself after he collided with Mr. Jackson. But uh, Dr. Bolster said that this will be very unlikely for such an event to occur because she said that a stabbing of this nature required a moderate degree of force. So Tyler Tiggy Jackson, he was found guilty again by a majority verdict, not unanimous majority verdict, last Thursday. And uh, the sentencing was put out to yesterday to allow the family of Conor Quinn uh, to prepare victim impact statements. And uh, there was a victim impact statement read during the sentencing hearing yesterday. It was read to the court by uh, Conor Quinn's aunt, Jennifer Spittle. And it was read on behalf of his mum, uh, Teresa Quinn, 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Conor Quinn was a father to be at the time that he died. He was only 24 at the time. And um, it, was, it was so tragic, you know, and we heard from that victim impact statement that his son asks his nanny now, you know, why, why daddy had to go to heaven. And the court was told, you know, that's a question that no one should ever have to answer. Uh, we were told, you know, that Conor Quinn was a wonderful person, a great sense of humour. And, uh, you know, his infectious laughter, we heard, echoed in the lives of his family, filling their lives with fun and, and joy always. And another, um, I suppose, really, really sad part of that victim impact statement, you know, his, his mom says that she often sees his passport, you know, his passport is still in date, yet his life has expired. Um, so just a really sad, you know, sense yeah, of the loss that this has been yeah, for the family. Yeah, a young, a young life so so tragically uh, lost. Uh, no winners or losers here because uh, Tiki Jackson now has been given uh, a life sentence. Did he say anything yesterday? So what we heard um, through the Defence Senior Counsel, Brian McInerney, yesterday said that, you know, his client, Tyler Tiki Jackson, disagrees with the jury's verdict and it is his intention to appeal. So okay. it remains to be seen um, how that will progress. And of course, the fact that uh, Tiki Jackson fled the jurisdiction, I'm assuming that only compounded the grief of the, of the family and the family desperately trying to get some closure. Well, that's it. And they said that as well, you know, in the victim impact statement, you know, it's been five years has passed since they lost their beloved Connor, and it's taken this extended period to achieve the justice that they say that Connor deserves, you know, a, just, a justice that has been long awaited by those who loved and cherished Connor. And you're right, he did flee, you know, there was um, warrants to, to bring him back. So it has taken some time to to bring uh, justice here for, for Connor Quinn. Okay. All right. Listen, Mairead, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Mairead uh, Tuick, who is our uh, news correspondent. Just some of your comments in. We were talking about heat pumps in the last hour. Uh, Heidi said heat pumps need electricity to work. It's air to water. And if it's very cold and it freezes in bad weather, then they're simply not good. If the electricity goes off, what do you do then? There are disadvantages to heat pumps as well and old houses have so many drafts. Also, heat pumps are slower at heating homes and they use a lot of electricity and they can be more uh, expensive. Well, I think the point point that Tom was made with heat pumps, they work best when you have a fully insulated home. Uh, I mean, I don't think, uh, you're dead right, it would be uh, it would be a crazy way to heat a home if it was a very drafty house but he's talking, I think, about the heat pumps work best when you've got a high burr rating on your home but it does come with the cost uh, for sure and particularly the way electricity has gone at the moment. And listen to this, there's no name on this but listen to this uh, comment that came in from a listener says, Hi Patricia, at the end of your programme yesterday you've part- parting words were stay dry and stay indoors. Unfortunately, I an urgent appointment and don't drive so I was out in that torrential rain yesterday afternoon on foot in Carrigaline. Umbrellas were ineffective in those conditions so it was not pleasant to be outdoors yesterday. Apart from one courteous driver who stopped to let me cross the main street beside the hotel. Most drivers selfishly drove through roadside water, sending both the water and the sludge over me. One driver in what I can only describe as a swish car on the Bala Road drove close to the footpath at speed and gleefully grinned at my dismay when the sludgy water actually hit my face and covered my jacket. This behaviour was replicated by the next car who just ignored me as the watery glunk descended all over me. I was so wet that on getting home, 
puddles surrounded me wherever I stood still. And Patricia, I was one of the lucky ones. I was able to change my clothes, enjoy a hot meal and get warm. That got me thinking about homeless people who walk our streets too. They would not be able to recover from such a cruel dousing. Yesterday, the town of Carrigaline did not show itself at its best. These drivers might not like driving in bad weather conditions, but they should remember that those on foot who are literally soaked from heavy rain are in a much worse position. Therefore, they should avoid causing roadside sludge to douse pedestrians or cyclists. So perhaps they should learn to have a bit more humanity. Oh, wow, what, what an experience. And that's, I think, very appropriate for the day that's in it because there's a lot of water. Please be aware of cyclists and be aware of pedestrians as well. We spoke with Dan, who was queuing to get into CUH for an hour and 10 minutes before he got into the car park. That prompted Anne to say, Thank God for Mallow Hospital. And then on the HSE, Micah says, Patricia, I've said it before in your programme, the HSE are worse than RTE, the way in which taxpayers' money has been abused and it needs a full investigation immediately, if not sooner. I've often said that Micheál Martin created a white elephant the day he created the HSE and abolished the health boards, but I never thought that it would be this large a white elephant. No government, no one can keep pouring more money into it. The days that the nuns disappeared was a sorrowful day for the health system in this uh, country. And then on the situation in Gaza, hi Patricia, heartbreaking to hear about so many hundreds of people killed in one moment of madness uh, yesterday. Palestinian lives are so dehumanised that some people might not even realise how horrific that moment to target a hospital was. Here in Ireland, we do things like music festivals. So when we heard about the attack last weekend, we could instantly relate to it. We've never lived in an open prison. So it seems some people find it harder to empathise, even though the Israeli attacks are and have always been 10 times worse on the Palestinian people. We as a country need to show moral courage. We need to follow our own paths, not just follow the US and the UK, both of whom have their own war crimes being investigated. We are a neutral international leader. We need to expel the Israeli ambassador, would others agree? We need to place sanctions. We need to freeze bank accounts. Money talks. It has been an effective strategy with Russia. Continuing to see both sides, the situation will never change things. Okay, it's a very well put together and worded uh, text. Thank you for that to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Nazareth House in Mallow, their lotto draw is on tomorrow afternoon at three with a jackpot of €10,000. Gwaleskull, Muskery and Blarney, they're holding an open night tomorrow night. It's from half six to half past nine. All are welcome. And the Dementia Sunshine Memory Cafe, that will be held in Bandon Town Hall tomorrow afternoon between three and five. For more details, you can contact Mandy at St. Michael's 085 884 And the Mallow Committee of the Irish Cancer Society will hold their big pink coffee morning. It's this Friday morning, half nine to half twelve and it's at Hurley's Centra in Mallow. And a fashion show in aid of co-action in Dunmanway, they de- their daycare centre and the West Cork Jesters will be held. Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway on Friday night with local boutiques from West Cork showcasing their new arrivals for the coming season. There'll be a prize for the breast-dressed lady. Raffle also on the night. Tickets at €20 Euro available at the door. 
or you can contact Eileen on 087 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, an Irish cameraman and author who has explored the underwater world of the North Atlantic Ocean will speak about his encounters with some of the largest creatures on Earth at two upcoming events here in Cork. Ken O'Sullivan uh, is from La Hinch and he joins me to talk about his show Into the the deep. Uh, good morning to you, Ken. Hi, Patricia. How are you? Uh, well, it's great to, to speak with you. Now, you have made a number of films and uh, documentaries about the underwater world. But take me back. When and how did you develop this love of the ocean? Where did all that come from? Well, I've, I've been an underwater cameraman and filmmaker for about 18 years now, but um, it goes back to my, my, my childhood and my ancestry. Uh, my father, Billy Sullivan, came from Phoenix Island, um, which is a small island on the north side of Tralee Bay. And my family had lived there for 250 years as small farmers and, and fishermen. And uh, I spent the summers of my youth there with my father fishing in the old school methods and trammel nets and spiller lines and picking periwinkles in Corrigan. And uh, it was it was it was an incredible experience, a Huckleberry Finn type existence, really, with my uncles and my aunt. And uh, just got a great love of the shore and, 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 and the creatures, you know, the old people had a very colourful view on nature. And that stayed with me all my life. So the the, the love of the ocean is, is in your DNA uh, for sure. But what does it feel like to be underwater and getting so close, you know, close enough to film, you know, these spectacular creatures like blue whales and, and fin whales and, and sharks? Can you describe what that experience is like? <laughs> well, I mean, to be underwater, is, it's not a natural place for us to be. And it takes a little bit of work. Anybody who's tried to snorkel or scuba dive, it takes a little bit of work. But when you get used to it, oh, my God, Patricia, it's like flying. I mean, you're in three dimensions now. So we're moving up and down as well as left and right and all around. And, and you know, the underwater world, scuba diving in Ireland, you know, we don't need Jack Cousteau, but Jack Cousteau said he is some of the best diving in Ireland. And it is particularly the, our Atlantic coast or Celtic Sea. It's absolutely staggering. Um, the amount of life that we have, the colour. But to be near one of the, those large whales is, um, <laughs> you know, it's terrifying, but it's something I've done for nearly 20 years. And I was lucky to train with some of the top guys in the world, from BBC and other places, and, and understand how to, to do it safely. Um, look, at a, a neighbour of mine was saying after he saw my series, he, he's a farmer. I said, you're, you're mad, get in with those animals, you know. And I said, you know what, Tom, I, I pointed to the field. I said, I wouldn't go into that field with one of your bullocks or your because I don't know how those animals behave. So it's 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 terrifying, but it's an absolutely incredible experience. I mean, mostly in the moment. I'm trying not to mess it up because, for example, with the blue whale, I had three chances ever, three encounters, and, and two of them just didn't go well because the water wasn't clear. And then, you know, the third one, um, the animal was probably about 90 foot. I mean, it took 27 seconds to swim swim past me. So I, I, I literally nearly asphyxiated <laughs> waiting for him to pass and finish the shot. But it's, look, it's insane. I mean, what a privilege. It's uh, magical moments. And have you a bucket list of a creature that you'd love to film that you haven't filmed yet? Ooh, sorry, now it sounds a bit picky, Trish. I, 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 I'm very careful with that term because um, bucket list. Because so you know, what I do what I do for conservation. Yeah. Sorry, it's just something you hear in in in, in particular social media. You know, people say, "Oh, swim with a dolphin before you die." Whereas 
for me, it's about the animals. It's not about me. It's not about my gratification. And, and, and I try to spread that word to people to educate and create awareness that we shouldn't swim with these animals. Well, I do what I do for conservation and education. And I give all my work. Um, I donated to the educational curriculum in 2018 and it's now on the junior cycle. So um, look, at I've, I, I've been as close. I've been within a meter of, you know, killer whales, blue whales, fin whales, humpbacks, minke whales. And it's absolute privilege. Um, I'm hoping that we, our next project will be about dolphins, which are uh, incredible creatures and largely misunderstood by people. But hopefully we can create some education and awareness around that. Yeah. And, and maybe I phrased my question wrong because that's what I because no, I, I, I was coming at it from the point of view, because we're losing so many of our our animals, be, I mean, be, be creatures of the sea or animals on land. I was wondering, was there some particular species that you're fearful won't be around to film? That was where I was coming from uh, on that one. And because of the work that you're doing, I mean, when did you start to see the effects that mankind was having on the creatures of the sea? Well, you know, it's, it, it took took quite a few years to kind of learn the craft of, of, of underwater camera work. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just an amazing thing to be able to do, to dive and to see these animals. And at some point after maybe a number of years, you kind of start to see issues. You start to see less and less shows of fish, uh, less and less fish on reefs where I would swim every day. Almost no fish now on reefs where I swim every day in County Clare that, you know, would have once been abundant. And I suppose you, you kind of feel a responsibility to tell these stories. And we've always included conservation in our stories. And, you know, it's great to see the big iconic productions like BBC and National Geographic, you know, including them now. But it's a, it's a very recent discovery for them. You know, Blue Planet 2 was the first time they really, you know, started to tell us some of the conservation stories. So, yeah, lots of creatures um, in trouble. You know, we've done an awful lot of filming off the coast of West Cork and uh, sharks in particular. And, you know, we're killing, as in us humans, between 60 and 270 million sharks every year. But that's according to the world's IUCN, the World Conservation Body. And it is a range figure. Up to 270 million sharks. My God. Now, you can say, well, OK, you know, I don't care about a shark. He's a predator. But, um, you know, whether or not you, anybody agrees we have an ethical <laughs> obligation to protect these animals, you know, they're really important for the ocean ecosystem. They regulate the food chain. They're a top predator. If you take them out, you cause all kinds of problems within the, the ecosystem in the ocean. So they're in serious trouble. And, you know, these are animals that came into our shallow bays for thousands of years. And yet we, we never even knew they were there. I can find no credible record of a shark attacking anybody in the water in Ireland. Is there still time to turn it around? There's always time, Patricia, always, always. Because you know what the amazing thing about nature is? If you leave it alone, it will mm. recover. So a huge opportunity now. The government are bringing, bringing in uh, marine protected areas in Ireland. Um, I think they're hoping to launch the legislation this year. Fantastic. They've committed to, to um, protect 30% of our oceans, I think, by 2030. There's a huge opportunity and I believe it will work well, it is working well, that you involve stakeholders, you involve fishermen, people in ecotourism, local communities, everybody that can work together, um, because it's a win-win situation for everybody. So absolutely, there's opportunity to change things. Yeah, and can, can we all take hope as well from the, the younger generation? They really seem to be into the, the environment. And I know, as you say, you donate um, all of your work back to the Department of uh, Education. So it's used in the, in the junior cycle, uh, geography and business studies. Uh, curriculum 
can we take hope that they're the next generation and, and they may be able to be better than what, maybe what their parents or grandparents were? Absolutely, Patricia. Look, you know, I've done six, five or six talks already and loads of kids, we do family rates. They're the one asking the questions and you know what? They get it. You don't have to say it twice. Yeah. They just get it. It's people in my generation that you're struggling to convince who are kind of looking at you and asking more questions. And yeah, look, they get it. But the question is, you know, we... You just, I hate to sound preachy, I really do. Because I like to <laughs> show not. people You're the beauty of what's there. I show the beauty of what's there and hopefully if they love it, we, we'll protect them. Yeah, yeah, and we, we have brilliant volunteers and a lot of them are young people with the clean coasts uh, and they're out Absolutely, every weekend picking yeah, up the yeah, rubbish. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing incredible work. Okay, tell me about your show, uh, in, Into the Deep. Now, it's more than you just going into a room and putting on videos and, and sitting back. Tell me how the, how the, <laughs> evening, how the evening comes out. Uh, come here, it's been a dream um, for the last few years, Patricia, to, to do a live show and interact with the audience. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I show videos and, and talk about them and the, the backstories, if you like. I mean, documentary is a wonderful medium, but you're a bit limited in, in what you can say. You know, you have to really move on and keep people's attention. Whereas with this, you know, I'll, for example, play a video about, you know, swimming with a blue whale. But then obviously all the conservation impact, you know, where we match animals to different parts of the of the North Atlantic and manage to track migration routes, which helps to conserve the animals. Um, you know, people are interested in the backstory and how difficult it is to be a documentary filmmaker in, in natural history and, you know, um, lots of backstories of that and then lots of interaction with people in the audience. And that's nearly the best part, you know. Some of the shows they've kept me for an hour just asking questions, <laughs> which is wonderful, you know, wonderful. And you, and you don't mind that. You, you love the interaction. So you stay you're, for the whole day. Well done. <laughs> Tomorrow night you're in the, the wonderful setting of the, the Celtic Ross Hotel in uh, Ross Garbury. Uh, say hi to Neil Grant, the manager there. He's, he's a great I friend will. of the programme. And then uh, you're, you've got bigger venue then the following week. You're going to the Everyman. That's right. First of November, um, Everyman Theatre in Cork City, which will be great. Oh, my God, what a venue. I'm a little nervous now. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. Theatre, really. Um, delighted to go to West Cork. So many friends there. And we, we based ourselves for filming there for 16, 17 years in the beautiful village of Court McSharry. And um, we filmed humpback whales, fin whales, uh, poor beagle sharks, blue sharks, uh, all kinds of marine life there. So really, really delighted. So many ocean lovers naturally in West Cork. Um, and that'll, that'll hopefully be a great show. And are there tickets still available for tomorrow night in the Celtic Ross? Yeah, there's yeah. a few actually. Okay. They're selling out. There's a few. I think there's 40 or 50 left just okay. for tomorrow. And, that's, that's uh, a, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a half seven uh, start. Um, I think the last documentary that I saw on TV was the North Atlantic, the Dark Ocean. Uh, somebody's asking if you any more documentaries coming up on TV? Well, we're hoping to, we're trying to raise funding for a, a documentary about dolphins and hopefully we'll get there. It, it, it'll take probably, you know, 20, 24 months to produce. So we're, we're, we're hopeful if we can get it off the ground. We, you're looking spring, summer 2025. Um, yeah, it takes a while. OK, well, keep safe in your work and keep doing what, what uh, you're doing because you. it is so vital. And it was a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for that, Ken. Thank you, Trish. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Ken O'Sullivan, Irish cameraman and uh, author and a fantastic documentary uh, maker. Uh, if you've seen any of his documentaries, you know how, go how good that guy is. Uh, so best of luck tomorrow night in the Celtic Ross uh, Hotel in Ross Garvin. If you can't make that, Wednesday the 1st of November, he'll be in the Everyman. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. 
Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A text in from a listener telling people to avoid the road to Cove, especially by photo. East Cork really seems to be getting a bashing today. Now, later than normal, so we have very little time for this. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joins us for a little bit of armchair gardening today. Good morning to you, Peter. We have very little time for it, Trish, but I think we have very little gardening to do as well this week. That is true, but there are a lot of questions in, including a lovely email that came in from Billy in Bantry that we sent you on because there's a picture attached. Well done, Billy. You got it into us in plenty of time. It says, hi, Patricia. Um, I'd love you to ask our wonderful gardening friend, Peter, whether I should prune this lovely horn bean back and if so, by how much? It's about 30 years old, at least. It's about 25 foot tall and 30 foot wide. I trim back the driveway side of it, but on the lawn side, the branches are dipping down onto the ground. I love this tree, but it really does need to be tamed somewhat. Advice, please. That's from Billy in Bantry. Well, I suppose the horticulturist in me, Trish, would say move the driveway and leave the tree alone. (laughs) Okay. But uh, accepting the fact, so obviously I, I'll, I'll put the photograph that he sent, I'll put it up on, on my Facebook page so people can see it. But uh, so the long-winded answer to the question is that the, the hornbeam, a mature hornbeam like this does not need to be pruned or tamed. OK, but because obviously he has to, to prune it on one side to allow cars in and out because it's encroaching on the driveway. Well, then I think you do. I think it's going to look all wrong to, and lopsided if you just prune one side of it and leave the other off. So I think I'd be more inclined to to prune it. Now is the time of year to do it to kind of end of summer into the winter. Um, so prune it now. In terms of how much, what the best answer I can give that there is in proportion. So however much you've had to prune it on the driveway side, prune it the same all the way around. Like what might be, what might be nice is to prune it into a kind of a, a you know, very, very large beehive shape, if you can imagine what I mean. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're kind of coming in from on the driveway side and you come in the same amount all the way around. So it's not lopsided would be the best advice I could give him, I'm afraid. Okay, good. And it's, it's the fact that he loves it so much as well. And the fact that it's there 30 years, I can understand why he's, he's got an affection towards that particular tree. Now, uh, someone was on earlier to say, could you please ask Peter, how do I introduce more buttercups into my rewilded lawn? I've had some, but I would love a sea of yellow. And that made me smile because we would have other people saying, I'm trying to get rid of the buttercups and you're mm. always saying, grow to love them. Here's somebody who loves them how do you get how do you get more buttercups for those that want them well i you can plant them you can get them you you can get little buttercup plants or you can even take them up from not from the wild but i'm sure there are neighbors gardens who will have them growing who might be delighted to give them to you you should be able to get native buttercup seed as well however if you've let it rewild then what you're talking about then is kind of counterproductive if you like so you either, in other words, if you let it rewild, you just let it to nature and let let the buttercups come back all on their own. And, the you know, the, the tapestry that is unique to that area of ground will come back all on its own. You might have more or less buttercups. If you start introducing buttercups, you're, you're, I'm splitting hairs now, Trish, but if you start introducing buttercups, you're not actually rewilding it. You're managing it, if you know what I mean. So um I would say if you do leave it to nature, if there are a few buttercups there already, I think what you'll find is over the next few years, you will naturally get more is the good news. Um, 
Alternatively, you just go a, a Google search for Native Irish Butter Club seed should get you some. I think I don't have any, I'm afraid, but you should be able to get some. Uh, and you could you could just scatter them on bare soil, or even start them off in little pots or seed trays and plant them out then as, as small plants next year. But I do love the description of a sea of yellow. I can, I, oh, it would be yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it would be absolutely uh, lovely. Hi, Peter, says Mary. Can I cut back withered brown leaves on a clematis now? Yes, so 90% of clematis are, are deciduous, so the leaves will die back. The reason I'm hesitating by before saying yes is because it does depend actually on which clematis it is in terms of when it flowers. So yes, you can cut it back now, but depending on which one it is, you might also be removing the flowers. So your earlier clematis, like clematis montana and those the, the varieties of that, which would be that lovely pink and white one that you'd see on old cottages, treasure, stone walls, and really lovely one. But the flowers of that clematis are already on the plant. So by cutting it off now, you're going to remove the flowers as well. Whereas if it's a later flowering clematis, a viticella type or tangutica or any of the summer and autumn flowering clematis, you'd be fine to do that now because the flower buds aren't on them. So my answer to your question is, first of all, check if, if it's a very early flowering clematis. I'd probably wait till after flowering next year. If not, then prune away. OK, and uh, very finally, uh, Lister has buds on a Christmas cactus. They never bud this early. It's always in full bloom at Christmas. Why is it budded so early this year? Actually, I, I noticed, can't answer. <laughs> yeah, I noticed actually uh, we have the famous Christmas cactus here uh, in the radio station. And actually, I noticed yesterday there's buds on it uh, uh, as well. Is it is it the weather, I wonder? It could be the weather, but it could also be just a gentle reminder that we are only about 10 weeks to Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm they're, afraid. They're, they're, take, those buds won't open overnight. I'd say, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to say. It probably is something to do with the level of sunlight that it got or the heat in September, probably more likely. But um, but yeah, it, it's certainly the right time of the year, I'm afraid. OK, all right. And someone else wants to know, is now the time to be planting your daffodil bulbs? Yes. Do you know what? It's still far too warm for most bulbs because it's been unseasonably high temperatures. But re- traditionally now, but you're, you're certainly in no rush. You'd be well able to do it right into November and even December this year. Yeah, so don't worry if you haven't got them in. All right, yeah. listen, have a lovely week. Stay dry. <laughs> Stay Thanks, indoors. and you, Trish. Mind yourself, mind yourself in the roads. We will indeed. Thanks for that. That is uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com and he will be back with us next week. Did I spot somebody on, somebody else updating us? Uh, this was Sean on uh, Twitter, or X as it is now. Uh, there is flooding currently at Douglas Bridge in uh, Kilworth. Please, please drive safe if you are going to be out and about on the roads. Listen, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara uh, for producing. We've had a busy programme uh, today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. He'll keep you updated and uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messenger on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie